Good evening and welcome to the SureDog Radio Preview for UFC on ESPN 29, Cannoneer versus Gastelum, also known as UFC Vegas 34. After a week off, we're back. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me as usual is Keith Schillen. Keith is the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network, where he is the uh, producer and creator of numerous shows, including uh, Getting Too Personal, MMA Legacy, and of course, the Schillen and Duffy show that brings you uh, post-event recaps on Saturday night. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing good, brother. I had two weeks off for a breakdown, so I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm excited to get back into it as well. I will say that after the bonanza of UFC 265, uh, this card that we're coming into this weekend is a little lean on paper. Uh, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, it's uh, there. There isn't any fights that really jump out to you that's going to shake up rankings. I mean, the the main event obviously, you, you know, matters for the rankings, but the winner is still, you know, two or three wins away from a title shot. You know, there's a flyweight matchup that's that could shake up the rankings a little bit. But all in all, it's pretty weak. But there's a lot of New England guys on on the card, so that's got to get you excited. And and the one good thing about all these New England guys on the card is that we guarantee that we will not go uh, winless. Like we will get a win. Well, actually, I shouldn't say guaranteed, but we not all of our fighters will lose. That's, that's what I'll say. That's that's true. I mean, you've got at least one fight where it's New England versus New England, so somebody must prevail. Uh, I don't have much else to say about this one. Uh, you kind of pointed out, like there aren't super high stakes for a lot of these. We'll get to the main event in a bit, but it to, to me looks like the rare case of a card that it might be a title eliminator for only one of the guys in the fight. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but like, we'll save that. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, you ready to dive into these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The UFC on ESPN 29 uh, undercard starts with a welterweight matchup between Sasha Palatnikov and Ramiz Brahimaj. Uh, Palatnikov, the 32 year old from Hong Kong is six and three overall He's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC last fall. He won his debut uh, knocking out Louis Kosi in the third round at UFC 255 in November. Uh, came back this April at UFC on ABC Vittori versus Holland, where he was choked out by Impa Kasanganai uh, early in the second round. He'll be taking on uh, Brahimaj, the 28-year-old New Yorker by way of Fortis MMA, is 8-3 overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of a Legacy Fighting Alliance. He debuted uh, last November at UFC on ESPN Santos versus Teixeira, uh, where he lost to Max Griffin, uh, literally lost about half of one of his ears. It just got busted off, uh, and that spelled doom in a fight that he, he appeared to be losing anyway, but you know now it's a TKO rather than a decision. Brahimaj, nonetheless, is a slight favorite here. He's minus 125, where you can get Plotnikov at even money or even plus 105 as the slight uh, as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith, two guys, you know, definitely in need of a win here, uh, even if this isn't an automatic pink slip derby. Who do you think gets it and how? Yeah, I like you mentioned that because that's definitely the case here. Both guys really in need for a win, as in the loser. I don't know if they get cut, but... It wouldn't shock me if they did. Now, I'll start with Palenikov. He's a good athlete. That's the first thing that stands out to me. Though, he kind of limits his athleticism by throwing like single strikes, a lot of single strikes. 
Uh, he keeps his hands low. Some other negatives, he's been rocked several times. Go back to that fight against uh, Kosi. But he did show incredible heart in that fight to be able to come back and get the win. Good kicks. Throws lots of kicks. He'll throw some spinning uh, spinning attacks. He'll throw like a spinning wheel kick. Um, his hands are pretty raw, though. Like there's nothing that really stands out to you in his boxing. As far as wrestling, pretty good reactionary double. Kind of use movement and then drops down when, he, when his opponent over pursues. I'd say he's good at winning scrambles. Uh, we saw that in the Kosi fight. He go he goes for subs a lot, and I said this last time, but he doesn't doesn't have a submission win on his record, and it makes matters worse that he was submitted by Impa Kasangai in his last fight. Uh, the one other thing I do like about him is that he's gone 25 minutes in the past in his you know in his regional career, which is probably why his cardio held up against Kosi and, and and got him the victory. Now moves over to Brock Mayweather. This is a guy that. You know, he's been a guy that's been a long time in the UFC now, even though he doesn't have that many fights. He's, you know, he signed a while ago. Uh, defensively, he fights behind a high guard. He, he has a decent job. He uses it to set up his power shots. He really steps into his punches. You mentioned that it wasn't going well against Max Griffin, but when he did have success on the feet, it was his straight right. Uh, he does well to keep his head off the center line. But a big issue with him is also low output. He tends to telegraph his shots a little bit making it easy for someone with good footwork to avoid his shots. That's something that he'll face in a guy like Platnikov. And that's something he really struggled with, with Max Griffin due to Max Griffin. Max Griffin was never a stationary target. He was never uh, stopped moving. Uh, he also got beat to the punch by Max Griffin a lot of times. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned about his, his ear exploding. It was absolutely disgusting, but he was, he also rocked right before the air exploded. Uh, but that was why I talked about his, is standing. This guy is a guy that's going to probably want to get to the ground. He's got, I'd say good entries, but nothing great. He like, he, and that's because he doesn't really set them up. He, he, he throw, and that's because he doesn't have enough output on, on the feet. So he kind of just shoots in without much setup. He prefers that Damian mild, like snatch single where he works down. Uh, but he has a submission specialist. He's got a lot of submission on his, on his record. He's competing in some really good presumptions. Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. He won a world championship in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, he really is good on, on the ground. So, as far as prediction goes, uh, start right off the bat. This is an intriguing fight because it's a hard one to pick. And, and, you know, that's what I like most. Like, I really like when I have a hard time picking. He didn't look for a, a takedown at all against Max Griffin, which was really, really surprising. I'm assuming people, someone's going to remind Brockimov that, listen, to your world champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's what got you in the UFC. I'm assuming he'll he'll look for a takedown in this fight. Platinikov was submitted in his last fight, and I don't like that he's going against an even better grappler in Brachimaus than, than Ipa Kasaganai. So I say Brachimaus gets a takedown and continues, like, makes it a big part of his game to be wrestling. And I think he finds a submission sometime in this in this fight. I'm going to say probably about midway through the fight. So give me Brachimaus by second-round submission. I'm, I'm glad you pointed out the fact that uh, Brachimaus didn't even – really try for a takedown at all in the uh in the griffin fight i expect like that uh blew my mind because i fully expected him to you know try to get that fight to the ground at all costs he did not do so i expect he will against palatnikov and i'm interested to see what kind of success he has getting it to the ground uh brian i mean he's he is a good athlete but he's going to be a walk in the park in terms of athleticism compared to the two guys that Platnikov has fought so far in like Louis Kosi and Impic Sanganai, both of whom are like powerful, explosive a athletes. Uh, 
I am going to guess that Brahimaj is going to at least mix in uh, some ground game and that he's going to have a certain amount of success. I don't know if he'll get uh, the submission, but I do expect him at least to get him in enough to get Platnikov in enough trouble to, to win rounds. So I am going to go with Brahimaj uh, as well. Um, and I, give me Brahimaj by decision. Next up on the UFC Vegas 34 prelims, it is a lightweight matchup between Roosevelt Roberts and Ignacio Bamondes. Roberts, the 27-year-old Californian, is 10-2 with one no contest overall. He's 4-2 with one no contest uh, since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, most recently, he had a shocking 30-second uh, loss to Kevin Kroom last September at UFC Fight Night Watterson versus Hill that was subsequently overturned when uh, Kroom tested positive for cannabis. That is the first of, by my count, three fighters on this card who have had wins or losses overturned due to weed. Uh, prior to that, he got armbarred by Jim Miller in just half a round last June at UFC on ESPN Blades versus Volkov. So uh, Roberts, despite his uh, decent looking UFC record, is uh, definitely in need of a win. He takes on Bahamondes, the 23-year-old Chilean, is 11-4 uh, overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC this year out of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted against John McDessie in April, where he uh, fought a barn burner of a fight, but did drop a split decision uh, in his debut. Roberts is a slight favorite here. He is minus 145. Uh, Bahamondes, plus 125 uh, as the underdog. Uh, to me, I, I see this as a fight. They're both, they're both young. I mean, Roberts is 27. Bamondes is only 23. They're both huge lightweights. Uh, you know, both, they're both six foot one and neither of them are a beanpole six foot one either. Like they're, they're big guys. Uh, the difference to me is that I'm not dead sure what Bamondes does at a UFC level other than be big and throw a lot of volume. Whereas I've seen flashes of like some solid talent uh, out of, out of Roosevelt Roberts. And that to me is going to be the difference. I, I know what, I know what Bob on is going to do. He's going to come forward throwing a lot of kicks and punches. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, I think Roberts is going to be able uh, to deal with, deal with that. I, I could even see uh, Roberts, you know, getting uh a submission. He's got a great guillotine. Obviously, the you know his UFC debut, he put Daryl Horcher in a guillotine so nasty that he basically like lifted him like halfway off the ground and just stuck into the fence by his neck. Uh, that's certainly something he can do against someone who charges in like like Bam and Bamondes does. Uh, the the people that Roberts has lost to so far. I mean, aside from getting blitzed by Kroom, and you know who knows what kind of superpowers you know Kroom uh, picked up by 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 hitting the blunt. Uh, he's lost to people like, you know, Vince Bichelle, Jim Miller, just tough uh, veteran guys who are, you know, physically strong. None of that is is Ignacio Obama on this. Uh, I, I like Roberts in this one, and I like Roberts to get the submission. Like, give me a second round submission, probably like something again, like a nasty guillotine. Yeah, so this is one of three fights you said affected by weed. Uh Hopefully, the UFC will finally get rid of that stance. Not that I'm not like some pro advocate to get high, but 
I'm assuming like half our listeners are is probably half our listeners are high right now to, to, to listen to our advice. So uh, yeah, we are we we'll pro weed team, I guess. Uh, I I shouldn't speak for both of us, but uh, for for the likelihood of our, that there's a whole bunch of our listeners. Well, I sh- I should never say a whole bunch in our listeners in the same sense because I don't know if we have a whole bunch, but uh, the, the very few that decide to listen. Um, as far as this matchup, uh, this. I've been probably outplaying this word lately, playing it out. I've been saying intriguing. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this matchup because I think a lot of things you said, they're very similar, uh, both by you know their age, their body structure. Um, so I'll start with Roberts. Obviously, he's a, he's the more well-known guy. He's aggressive, fast hands, uh, pretty elusive. I said last time I, I described him as wiry. I think that still stands. Uh, he does keep his chin a little high for my liking. I mean, uh, Kevin Kroom <laughs> made him pay for that in his last fight. Uh, he is a bit wild too, but he has decent power for his for his build. He's okay at winning scrambles when he's looking for takedowns. He's not a strong wrestler. He's more of a just get get movement happen, making a scramble happen. Uh, he do, I would say he's a weak defensive wrestler, but he shows some pretty good flexibility on the ground um, using those long legs. He, but overall in his UFC, I really feel like he's underachieved. I mean, he lost a decision to Vince. Michelle that looked bad. He got submitted by Jim Miller, which, you know, losing to Jim Miller is not bad, but losing to Jim Miller at this point in your career is pretty bad. And then, I mean, he was clubbed and subbed by Kevin Kroom in his last fight. Uh, he's been submitted in his last two fights. You don't like that moving forward. As far as Bahamundes, he's he's even longer and lengthier than, than Roosevelt Roberts is. He's athletic. He's really, really exciting. He, he's a guy that he's high output. He fights from both stances. He can be really technical at times, as in when he'll attack and he'll switch stances in mid-combination to get a good angle. I've said that about Max Holloway. Is I'm not, I feel like a broke record. I say all the time, but the guys who switch stances, I like that. And that's something that a 23-year-old is doing. But then on the flip side, then I watch him and he gets wild. Uh, just wing overhands. But due to his size, as you mentioned, he'll generate some some pop just being a big dude. Uh, and, and you mentioned he's not just lengthy, like he's 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 thick. Like how he makes a weight class is surprising. He does a lot of hand grabbing, which is a it's a real thin line. It's a, it's a real thin line to crawl on because if hand grabbing when you're trying to find range can really set up your shots, but it also leaves your chin open because your your hands are way out, not close to stopping. And if you lack head movement. Uh, it can be it can be a really bad thing. So I'm not really sure how I feel about him because he has range on his side. I think it's probably a good thing. Uh, he also doesn't like pressure. He doesn't like to fight off his back foot. I do love his step in knees. I love any. I, mean, I really love step in knees. And shout out to Chicken Bar Dave knows I love step in knees. But I like step in knees for guys who are tall or or fighters that are tall. Because we have another fighter that I'm going to talk about who throws a lot of. And actually, there's two or three on this card that could actually be a theme too. Solid takedown defense if taken down. Um, He'll toss up submissions, triangle chokes, on bars, and I've seen him go five rounds on the regional scene. So his prediction, it's tough. Like I'm just done with Roosevelt Roberts. Like he's been a disappointment. He was not a guy that I was like, you know, he came off the contender series. A lot of people were pumping him. I wasn't one of the guys. Like I didn't really like him on the contender series. Bahamundes, I think, can match Roosevelt's speed. I think he can match his athleticism. He's longer. I think he's got more power. And that's how the Roberts has never really faced someone who's longer than him. I also think if he connects at this point, Kevin Kroom has never really been known for, you know, being a good prospect. And Kevin Kroom put him out, put him, basically put him out in the very first punch he throws. So 
I'm going to go Bahamondes by second round KO, and I'm locking this in in the second fight in the card. I'm throwing it out early. I've been doing it a lot lately, but I'm picking my upset special right, you know, very early in the night. Give me Bahamondes. All right, there you go. Let the record show that we had dissension from the second fight of the card and that I was the square. We now head to the light heavyweight division for a New England versus New England matchup. It is William Knight and Fabio Charant. Uh, Knight, the 33-year-old from Connecticut, is 9-2 and two overall. He's 1-1 one and one since joining the UFC out of Dana White's Contender Series uh, last year. He won his debut on just a three weeks turnaround from his Contender Series appearance, taking a unanimous decision over Alexa Kamer at UFC 253. He then uh, turned around this past April at the ABC Vittori versus Holland card and dropped a unanimous decision to Da Unjung. He'll be taking on Charant, who made a short-notice debut against Alonzo Menafield back in March and in all of 71 seconds got spiked on his head and shoulder choked out, uh, not getting a chance to show us much at all. He gets a second chance here, and he is the moderate underdog. Uh, Knight is minus 195. You can get Charant at plus 165 or plus 170. Uh, much as it pains you to do so, Keith, you're going to have to pick a New England fighter to win. Which one is it and how? Yeah, make matters worse. Like, not only is it New England versus New England, but it's southern New England. So it's really my territory uh, is Connecticut versus Massachusetts. But I can be mutual uh, or, or neutral, I should say, not mutual, neutral, because I'm from Rhode Island. So the little the little state can uh, decide who wins this one. Uh, William Knight, he's one of the most insane athletes I've ever seen. Uh, I've said this a million times about him as, as we've talked about him. It seems like we've covered him a lot, and he's got a lot of fights canceled. Uh, he, he's just one of the most imposing figures I've ever seen when he walks in a room. Like, he walks in a room, you notice him. He's he's built like a Greek god. He's the perfect balance between raw power and athleticism. I will go to my grave. I don't care if William Knight never wins another fight again. I will always remind the people at the time he was fighting um, a fellow – UFC fighter, uh, what's the guy, the, the Cape Verdean from, oh, he lives in Fall River. He's, oh, my God, what's his name? He's in the UFC, heavyweight. Uh, um, I can't think of his name right now. But anyways, another, another UFC caliber fighter, and when he was an amateur, this guy, between rounds, was doing backflips and breakdancing instead of going to his corner. I said that story a bunch of times. I'm going to continue to say it until every single William Knight fight. Uh, you mean Jorgen straight, Castro? What would you say? Jorgen de Castro? Yes, Jorgen de Castro. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, yeah. Uh, his striking technique needs a lot of improvement. And he's at the point in age where I don't know if it's going to improve. He's, for a guy who's so, does it, I mean, this is guy's, like I said, built like he is and can do like standing backflips. He's kind of slow. He telegraphs his strikes a little bit. He pulls his head straight back. Yeah, being so short for the weight class, obviously he, he struggles with length. But when he hits you, he's got thunderous power, thunderous leg kicks. Uh, he does often throw them, you know, naked and leaves them open counter. But the thing that he does best is when he decides not to sit back in range and then just bum, bull rushes forward and gets to the clinch and either lands some dirty boxing with those just clubbing shots. He's got, you know, like it's, it's crushing power or just gets on you, grabs you, picks you up in the end, slams you. He's a decent wrestler. I wouldn't say great wrestler. Okay, hip control. Likes his lateral drop. He he did do a lateral drop uh, on Alexa Kamar. 
And if he gets on top, he has some scary ground upon, like up there with Derek Lewis, up there with Jared Cannon, who's in the main event. But he struggles with takedown defense. And, and I didn't think that was the case. I wouldn't say he was had strong takedown defense, but I didn't think it was a huge glare and weakness until his last fight against uh, Dan and Jung, where Dan and Jung took him down eight times in that fight. He did get up a lot to William Knight's defense, but he was controlled for over 12 minutes in that fight. That's really, really troublesome. Uh, he has some submissions on his record as an amateur, but we have never seen it as a pro. Uh, though, uh, Kmar in that fight, I mentioned this last time, was saved by saved by the ballot when he was in deep uh, key lock in that fight. And he showed tons of heart in a lot of fights, his ability to, to come back. I think about the uh, Brundage fight. He was losing early to, to Brundage on the uh, on the contender series and came back. And then moving on to Sharant. Sharant Southpaw, he's still still also he's very young, but he's also very raw on the feet. Tends to throw one strike at a time, which I don't like. His straight left is his best punch. He does do a good good job to like explode to close the distance in a hurry. But he's got some defensive holes, especially he lacks head movement, tends to back straight up when you get attacked. He doesn't like being pressured or having to fight off his back foot. And we just talked about sh- like William Knight is short for the weight class, but he's still like he's got biceps of, of Brock Lesnar on his side. Sharon is undersized for for light heavyweight. He, he's he's not a big that big of a guy. He's not a great wrestler at all. Um, but he does tend to find a way to get to the fight to the ground. I mentioned last time he likes to catch a lot of leg kicks. And if he gets on, he's he's got some busy. I wouldn't say like great ground and pound, but he's got just busy ground and pound. And he's a, and he's known for like people call him a striker, but he's probably his best game is his submission game. As he, of his seven wins, five of them have come by submission. He likes guillotines and anacondas. They kind of like he likes those head attack type submissions. Though, even though I'm calling him like a submission specialist or say that's where he kind of tends to go his last fight he looked terrible on the ground as he was von blue choked by alonzo menafield who's you know not damon maya so as far as prediction goes i said it's a new england fight so you know what that means i'm not high on either fighter even though i'm from new england this fight should be a main event on cs like it's co-main event on cs not i just i actually think sharon has the higher sailing of the two but that said, I just think Knight is too big for him. Uh, I think he's going to be too strong. It's not often where uh, Sharon is 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 not as strong as his opponent. I mean, that happened last fight against Minafield, and I think it's going to happen again. I think maybe Sharon's next fight, he'll probably drop down to middleweight. So I think Sharon gets taken down. I think he gets ground and pound. Give me Knight. Give me Knight by first-round TKO, ground and pound. I I love that you pointed out Sharon's uh, size issue. Because coming into his fight with Menafield a couple months ago, the the nice thing about Sharon, even though it was a short notice uh, step up, because his whole uh, his whole career had basically taken place in LFA and CES, there's plenty of tape available on him. And shame on me, I picked him to beat Menafield, uh, just based on wow, you know, he is a guy who at least at the CES level was bullying people around physically. Uh, you know, like his submissions and takedowns were a lot of the kind of brute force variety. And I obviously nobody was really high on Menafield at the time. He was had looked pretty miserable. But as soon as he got in there and I realized that, OK, his bullies size and strength at the the CES or even LFA level was not going to translate across to the Alonzo Menafields of the world. 
you know, it took me about 30 seconds to realize I had picked very, very wrong and about another 41 seconds to be proven wrong. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think he's going to have serious trouble doing the things that won him fights on the way up against William Knight. And if he can't do it to William Knight, then basically he's not going to be able to do it to any UFC level light heavyweights. So if he is capable of making 185, I think that's his going to be his best route forward after this, but I'm with you. I think Knight wins this pretty easily. Uh, give me Knight by uh, second round TKO, uh, probably on the ground, like he'll hurt Charant on the feet, maybe desperation takedown. Knight ends up on top, starts like slinging those bowling balls at him, and this thing is all over. We now move down to the Bantamweight division where uh, B.M. Malecki will welcome Josiane Nunez to the UFC. Malecki, the 29-year-old Swede by way of Fortis MMA, is a perfect 4-0 in her mixed martial arts career. She is 2-0 in the UFC, uh, having fought just once in 2019 and once in 2020. That most recent appearance was back uh, in March of 2020, where she took a unanimous uh, decision over Veronica Macedo at UFC Fight Night Lee versus Oliveira. Uh, she will be welcoming Nunes to the UFC. The 27-year-old uh, Curitiba native is 7-1 and one overall. She is uh, currently on a six-fight winning streak entirely in Brazil. Uh, fought most recently back in November, whether, where she uh, won via second-round TKO. Uh, Maleki is the uh, moderate favorite here. She's minus 160, where you can get Nunes at plus 140. Uh, I'll come right out and say I'm surprised to see Bia Maleki is dropping to Bantamweight. Well, one, I was kind of surprised he was still on UFC roster. I mean, fight, you, you fight once a year, and yeah. I, I had forgotten that she was still on roster, let alone that she was actually 2-0 in the UFC. These are some fast-moving waters. Uh, seeing her on The Ultimate Fighter, and again, this is that disastrous season that was trying to put together some featherweight title challengers for Amanda Nunes, and literally everybody from the season dropped to Bantamweight. Even wow. Hold on. Is that the season Larissa Pacheco is on? Well, she's up to welterweight now. Because yeah, she's <laughs> missing lightweight. <laughs> she's in the semifinals and, and missing. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. carry on. Sorry. I, I, I guess I guess the, the buffet in the uh, PFL bubble is, is irresistible. But uh, Maleki is one of the ones that I least expected. Uh, like, of all the people that were any kind of decent on that season, she was the one where I went... She probably isn't going to drop to 135. She's actually a big framed, big boned girl. She's a lot like her teammate, Macy Chasson. Like the UFC lists Maleki at 5'9, the Sherdog Fight Finder lists her at 5'11. And having seen her in photos with, uh, with Chasson a few times, I tend to think she's more like 5'11. And again, she's another one where she's not, she's not a beanpole. Like, she's got some muscle on, on her legs. She's got some, like, shoulder muscles. I'll be interested to see how she looks on the scale, how she looks walking into the cage. Ben, let me ask you but, this. Yo. Bet right now, does she make weight? Yeah, she makes weight. Okay. Yeah, like, uh, four disguise, not named Alhassan, make weight. Yeah, like, that's, like, that. I'm, I'm going to go with, with what I know. Uh, <clears throat> assuming she's not like a scarecrow death warmed over on the scale. This should be really interesting because Josiane Nunez is a stocky little tank of a woman. She's listed at five, three and all the tape I can see. And she looks like all of five foot three. 
Um, her her regional fights in Brazil are her like dashing in, trying to you know crash the pocket, navigate the the reach of women who are like five six and five seven with eh, you know pretty good uh, pretty good amounts of success, but always getting tagged a bit on the way in. And here she's going against a trained kickboxer that is much, much bigger than anyone she's ever fought before. Uh, I don't know if Nunes is going to have staying power in the UFC, but assuming Maleki makes the the weight cut healthily, I think she is just going to bust Nunes up. I, I haven't seen anything out of Nunes that makes me think she's going to be able to to get inside and land uh, her her punches in particular without like taking two for one. And she can't do that with Maleki who does hit hard. Uh, give me Bia Maleki by second round uh, TKO. Yeah, this is, uh, and if you're, if you're doing the drinking game, this is another intriguing matchup. So uh, do a shot for me. Uh, so Bia uh, Maleki, she, she only has two pro fights. So it's really hard to grasp what she is. And it's one of those, Trivia questions of who fought in the UFC before they made their debut. Like she's on that short list, uh, or it, not counting the early UFC days. I'm talking, you know, modern, say UFC 100 and on. Uh, I have concerns about her making weight too. As you said, she looks like a big woman. I I wrote down the UFC's height of five nine. Shame on me for not going to the shirt off fight finder, which would make it even more concerning to me. She's long and lengthy, obviously. Has a Muay Thai style. She's a former Muay Thai world champ. That word gets thrown around very easily, depending on what organization you're in. But and I don't follow Muay Thai strong enough to to know how legit it is. Uh, she presses forward. She has she presses forward, but she's a counter counter pressure striker. Like she 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 presses forward, hoping you throw. I seen a lot of people thought that Veronica Macedo was doing really well against her, especially early. I kind of disagree with it. Like I watched that fight, and I thought it was either pretty even, or Maleki was winning. I thought she did well to cut off the cage on Veronica Macedo, especially uh, about two or three minutes in. Uh, she was working behind a jab, which is smart for a long fighter. Uh, she was lining up her right hand, like throwing the jab and lining up her hard right hand. I, I love that she was throwing knees up the middle. That's, this was the person I thought of when I said it would be another fighter on, on the card that throws a lot of knees up the middle. Tons of keep kicks, which is a good technique for a taller fighter. Just hard turning her hip over on some hard kicks. I like that she throws kicks and then follows with punches. It's kind of like the backwards of what most people do. But for a long fighter, that works really well because your um, your kicks are such a distraction and it's such a range finder. The negative is she stands very tall. Obviously, she is very tall, but she leaves herself as a huge target. Locks head movement. I haven't seen much of the offensive grappling. Uh, but I did... And I didn't see much in the offensive grappling, and she was a little worried to go to the ground against Veronica Macedo, which is surprising. Uh, not surprising that she wouldn't go to the ground, but she was a little hesitant. Uh, but when she was on top, really good ground and pound. Decent takedown defense. I loved her hip control. I love that when Veronica Macedo shot in on her, she had enough hip control where she actually hipped into her opponents instead of just sprawling back. She actually ran her over with hips. Is actually what you should do. That's a better technique in wrestling. Um and when I've seen her taken down, go back to the, uh, the Ultimate Fighter and her first light, she does well to, to work herself back up. Now, uh, Nunes or Nunes, I, I, is it Nunes or Nunes? Nunes, right? Yeah, I, it's like Nunes is, is how she would probably say it. Like, okay. I, I, that's the one Portuguese vowel that kind of 
Yeah. yeah. I, I, Amanda Nunez messes up for all of them after that. Um, so, you know, I'm going to read everything I said about her last time because we broke her down and then she didn't get the fight due to her opponent missing weight. So there's nothing like nothing changed since then. So if you've heard me say it and you want to re- fast forward, here's the time. Uh, she's southpaw, very aggressive, throws wild, has g- crushing power for the weight class, has six KOs, TKOs. She likes to get into the clinch. That's probably her most dangerous game where she uh, dirty box. Um, bad takedown defense, really struggles to get off the bottom, though. Um, I've seen her not show urgency uh, when she's taken down, and, and she stayed very relaxed in bad situations, which is twofold. Like, it's good to not panic, but it's bad that if you're going to stay in that position. But one, the one time I saw her sweep and actually get on top, some really good, busy ground and pound. This is a tough one because both girls are such wild cards. I mean, Malekia has two fights, and then Nunez is making her UFC debut. However, as you mentioned, I feel the same way. I can't get past a seven, maybe nine, maybe higher height advantage in the 70 or maybe longer reach advantage, at least seven inches. That's really hard to overcome and it seems like Maleki, especially those step in knees with the height difference i could see a step in knee landing that could be a really good weapon for her. give me Maleki. i don't think she gets a finish but give me Maleki by decision we will stay in the bantamweight division for a matchup between brian kelleher and domingo Pilarte. i believe off the top of this program i said there were three fighters on this card who had had uh either a win or a loss overturned due to marijuana. There are, in fact, four. And the second of the four is in this fight. Uh, It is Kelleher versus Polarte. Uh, Kelleher, the 34-year-old Long Island native, is 22 and 12 overall. He is 6 and 5 in the UFC. Uh, Fought most recently in February, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Ricky Simone at UFC 258. Uh, Prior to that, he last fought back in September, uh, guillotining Ray Rodriguez in just 39 seconds at UFC Fight Night, Overeem versus Sakai. Uh, he'll be taking on Pilarte. The 31-year-old Houstonian is 8-2 with one no contest overall. He is 0-1 with one no contest in the UFC since joining out of the uh, second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he fought most recently last February in his hometown at UFC 247. Uh, he was finished in just 38 seconds by Journey Newson, uh, which was later overturned to a no contest when Newson tested positive for cannabis. Uh, odds favor uh, Kelleher in this one. He is minus 170. You can get Pilarte at uh, plus 150 as the underdog. Uh, <clears throat> Keith, who do you like in this one, and how do you think the fight goes? Well, this one, I'll just get right into it. So Brian Kelleher... I think he'd be the first person to tell you that he's not a great athlete. He's just a guy that has just grit. He's got a lot of experience, a lot of good experience. He's fought a lot of top guys in the UFC. Like I think of, you know, he's, he's mixed it up with Hannah Burrell or he's mixed it up with um, John Lineker and Ricky Simone and um, uh, not, not Ricky Simone. Um, yeah. He fought Ricky oh, Simone. Simone. Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. Cody Marlon- Stane. Yeah, Marlon Vera. Uh, oh, Marlon Vera. Real yeah. Contra, yeah. Lots he's of them. Really, and then he's even like he's fought. Um, oh, who's the? Uh, oh my God, uh, Julio Arce on the regional scene. Andre Sukmaton on the regional scene. Like he's he's got really good experience. Um, he's a guy that thrives 
as being the underdog, uh, which is ironic considering he's the favorite. He just he's well rounded but not great anywhere. But he can mix it up pretty much everywhere with anybody. Uh, he switches stances well. He uses feints well. He's pretty crafty with a striking, uh, more of a counter striker but a high volume counter striker. Doesn't throw a lot of uh, uh, leg kicks. I think he should add that a little more to his game. And he doesn't check leg kicks. He's pretty heavy on his front foot. But he has deceiving power. He's not a guy that you that is known to crack people, but he has a lot. He's, I would say, an above-average wrestler. Uh, but what I like about him is that he's looking for takedowns when you start opening up uh, striking. When you start playing your feet, he'll look for a takedown. Uh, he he he's a submission threat. He loves his guillotine. He defends takedowns throwing up the guillotine. It's worked for him in the past. I don't like it, though. You know, I I hate giving up position to go for the submission. Move over to Pilarte. He's aggressive guy, southpaw, long and lengthy, but he doesn't really fight at length. He he marches forward. Uh, I I I know we say when I have a guy like this, I always say it like Tim Mean style. Like he marches forward and more um, <laughs> gets in the pocket, and tries to use it as is. His, his, you know, longer arms and knees effective in there. He throws hard. He tends to load up on everything, uh, but he has some really hard leg kicks. I go back to one of his regional fights against uh, Kai Machado. That was like a really um, – he showed incredible hard. That was such a great fight. Uh, he's taken a lot of damage lately and for a guy who's, you know, young in age. I'm a little worried about his chin as he was quickly knocked out by Journey Newsom in his last fight. And I've seen him gas out in the past, so I don't like that. So as far as prediction, even though I said that Brian Keller strives as the underdog, I'm taking him as a favorite. I think he's the more technical striker. I love that he will. He has a wrestling advantage. He'll look to wrestle. He's probably just an overall grappling advantage. I think Keller gets uh, some enough volume on the feet, also mixes some takedowns, beats him up there. I like Keller by decision. I, I think he should be a bigger favorite than he is. I, I think he's – what did you say? He was negative 170. 170. I feel he should be in the 200 range based on the, the his history in the UFC, the guys he's faced. He's beaten better guys than D- Domingo Pilarte. So I'm locking this in as my best bet of the night. What I always like to remind everybody, if you are betting – Please bet responsibly. Don't bet your mortgage on advice I give you, because that'd be crazy. Uh, but if you want to throw a, a little cheese on the fight, I think I think Brian Keller at the current odds uh, is a good bet. So give me Brian Keller. I'm I'm with you on this one. When Pilarte came to the UFC out of the Contender Series, good grief, over three years ago at this point, if you told me that he would have no wins, and in fact he would have only fought twice, in the next three years, I would have been extremely disappointed. I, you know, I, I was pretty high on him. Uh, I mean, he came into the UFC off of wins over Vince Morales and Adrian Yanez that looked pretty damn good in hindsight. But despite his physical tools, and he's another one, I, I feel as though we've said this about a couple people, it's not just that he's a tall bantamweight. He is like, he's, he's not skinny. Like he is, he's a strong guy. Uh, he's just, he's so defensively porous. Like, everyone's offense works on this guy and against Brian Kelleher, who's he's offensively effective everywhere. There just aren't going to be any safe places for Pilarte here. Uh, I, I like you. I'm surprised the odds aren't a little wider here because yeah, Kelleher has beaten better people than Pilarte. And just as importantly, he hasn't lost to anybody like worse than Pilarte. Like he's, he's never been an easy out. Uh, Pilarte throws super hard. 
he certainly could land something and and get Kelleher in trouble. His best time to do that is going to be the first half of the first round because Kelleher can he can be a slow starter in the same way Donald Cerrone can. Where it's not just that he takes a while to start throwing; it's that for the first couple minutes of the fight, he can sometimes just be vulnerable. You know, like where he can get hit, he can get hurt, and get and, and get in trouble. That's going to be Pilarte's best time. Past that, I, I have Kelleher pretty comfortably in this. And just given Pilarte's penchant for taking damage in his fights, uh, I'm going to say that Kelleher finishes this. Give me Brian Kelleher by second round TKO. The top prelim at UFC on ESPN 29 is a featherweight matchup between Austin Lingo and Luis Saldana. Lingo, the 27-year-old Texan, is 8-1 and overall. He's 1-1 one one since joining the UFC out of LFA. Uh, he lost his debut via unanimous decision to Yusef Zalal back at UFC 247 last February. He came back this January at UFC on ABC Holloway versus Cater and took a unanimous, unanimous decision over Jacob Kilburn. Uh, he'll be taking on Saldana. The 30-year-old Iwan is 15-6 uh, overall. He is 1-0 since uh, joining the UFC out of uh, the 2020 Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted in April at UFC on ABC, Vittori versus Holland, where he took a unanimous decision over Jordan Griffin. Odds on this one are razor close, but uh, Saldana is minus 115. You can't quite get Lingo at uh, even money, but you can get him as close as minus 105 as of the middle of fight week. Uh, Keith, how do you see this one going? So when we talked about William Knight, I said I have a story about William Knight that I'm always going to tell. Like, I'm always going to tell that Austin Lingo has been training MMA since he was five. Like, that's crazy that he used to live with Donald Cerrone on his ranch when he was 15. Uh, as far as his style, he's very aggressive, presses forward, really sits on his punches. His counter right hand is his best strike, though his, his, he's got a killer left hook, too. He gets some serious power. That's what he's known for. He's just a big puncher. Um, he has three fights before his UFC debut where he finished in 13 seconds, 25 seconds, and 25 seconds. Uh, so he's got serious power. He will target the body. I like that. That'll set up his power shots later. He's a very weak defensive wrestler, though. We saw that against Yusuf Zalal uh, when he first lost. And he also struggled not only to stop the takedown, but to get back up. Um, as far as Saldana, Saldana comes off the Contender Series. He was one of my favorite guys in the Contender Series. I shouldn't say one of my favorite, but one of the guys I thought was promising moving forward. Pretty athletic, pretty elusive, long, long, lengthy striker. He's got a Muay Thai style, fast hands. Though he, I would say he's more of a point fighter. He's like the complete opposite of lingo. He's not a big power guy. He's more scores, um, moves, scores. Tons of kicks. I love that he goes to the calf kick, which is such obviously like probably the best weapon in MMA right now. He, he can wrestle, though. He'll sneak in a takedown. Not, I, I should say he will wrestle. He's, I don't think he's a great wrestler. Um, he actually has weak takedown defense. We saw that in his last fight against Jordan Griffin. Uh, but he's a submission threat. He's got four submission wins on his career. This is a really close fight. I think the, you know, the betting lines have it right. This should be a pick em fight. I wouldn't be surprised if the line changes But from now and Saturday. So, so Donna's going to need to avoid Lingo's game-changing power. I mean, that's everything about Lingo. I like Saldana's output. I like his calf kicks. I think that could zap some of Lingo's power. I see this as a very close fight. It, I thought about picking this as my fight of the night, except that there's an obvious choice later on. Uh, but I think I think Saldana of the two still has the higher ceiling. 
Uh, I think he's the guy I'm more excited with moving forward. So give me a Saldana. I say he wins uh, a close decision. Uh, I, I like your breakdown there. I, you know, I see the same strengths and weaknesses in these guys. I am leaning towards Lingo, even if I think Saldana, like you, I, I think he might have the higher ceiling. I think uh, as Lingo stays in the UFC and continues to fight guys, he's probably going to start to look He's going to start to look a little more one-dimensional. I think he'll probably just kind of settle into a role as a reliable, you know, mid-card action fighter. Where Saldana, even though his record is kind of modest-looking, he he has the feel of more of a late bloomer and a guy that is still developing. But right now, I, I'm i going to uh, pick Lingo to at least land enough of his power shots to give Saldana pause to win rounds and uh, and take a decision here. So give me Lingo by a close decision, but I am I am not at all like, this is not a strong pick on, on my part. This is a hard fight to pick. Yeah, neither, neither was it on my side either. <laughs> the UFC Vegas 34 main card opens up with a flyweight matchup uh, that definitely has at least some peripheral title implications in Alessandra Pantoja versus Brandon Royval. Uh, Pantoja, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 23 and five overall. He's seven and three in the UFC, and uh, fought most recently back in February, where he took a unanimous decision over Manel Cop at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov. Uh, he's taking on Royval, the man who goes by Raw Dog, is 29 years old out of Factory X. He is 12 and five overall. He is uh, two and one in the UFC. Fought most recently back in November and uh, was TKO'd by your current champ, Brandon Moreno, at the tail end of a wild first round uh, after appearing to injure his shoulder. Uh, after rehabbing that injury, he is back and he is the moderate uh, underdog here. He is plus 145, where you can get the Brazilian around minus 165. Uh, this is a really interesting place for Brandon Royval to, to be in because this fight is the this is the crossroads where he is either uh on the doorstep of a title shot or he is just literally another dude in this division because right now i mean he came into the ufc and it's hard for me to believe that he's only been in the ufc for barely a year because he came in just wiped out two solid you know like contenders or fringe contenders at least in tim elliott and kai car france and then he lost to brandon moreno but it was the kind of loss that did not kill the appeal of a rematch. Like if if he wins this fight, it's easy to sell Roy Vol versus Moreno too. It was a wild first round. They both hurt each other. Even if Moreno was on the way to winning the first round, th there's nothing about that fight that makes you go, well, I, I that's how that fight's going to go. If they fight 10 times, it's going to look like that every time. Uh, but it hinges on beating Pantoja. Because if he loses to Pantoja, he's going to go back uh, to the back of the line and it could take a while for him to, to make it back. Like, uh, so super high pressure situation for Royval. Uh, you uh, spoke of the last fight as you know a potential fight of the night contender. If there weren't an obvious one coming up, I assume this is the one you meant. Uh, the thing I love about this fight is that this may be the first time Pantoja will be in a fight where he is not the crazier fighter. Brandon Royval is a just a psychotically aggressive fighter uh, on the feet as well as on the ground, like. He wants to, like, all of his fights to me feel like one of those Looney Tunes cartoons fights where there's a cloud of dust with, like, hands and feet coming out of it. He wants to mix it up on the feet, but what he really wants is 
to end up in a position where he can force a scramble and be equally as crazy and aggressive on the ground. It's a bit like a flyweight version of early Ricky Simone to me. Um, it it makes for a fantastic uh, fight. Like he's a, always and I got the inside track on uh, on a fight of the night, but I have the feeling it'll like start to cost him as he moves up the ladder. The question to me is whether Pantoja, who is a extremely aggressive fighter himself, will be the guy to take uh, advantage of it. Uh, I'm I'm going to throw it to you for your pick, but there's something that's like I, I'm leaning Royval here, even though he's uh, the underdog, and I understand why he is. I don't think he's going to finish Pantoja, but I I think he's going to land things on the feet. And when it goes to the ground, I think he's going to have an advantage over Pantoja. I think uh, he's good. He's going to be stronger and he's just going to be more comfortable, more adept in the fast paced scrambles and just maybe a step ahead, even if Pantoja is probably a better straight grappler in a vacuum. So it's uh, I mean, this I think it might be the only upset I'm picking between now and the top of the card. But yeah, give me uh, Brandon Royval with a slight uh, upset here. And look for him to be banging the drum for uh, for a title shot. Yeah. So, yeah, you asked if this is my pick for Friday night. This is obviously my pick for the Friday night. It, it the question I have is like, why is this fight so far down? I mean, you can make an argument this could be the co-main event. Like, it's that good. It, it's. I mean, you can make an argument it could be the main event, but at least the co-main event. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of things you're saying. This is going to be really fun. I'll start with Pandoja. Obviously, we know a lot more about him. We've seen he's been around the UFC for a long time. He's well-rounded, fast hands. Uh, he's a pocket boxing brawler. He can be wild, but he does it because he can load some really good power. He's heavy on his front foot, which generates power, which is a bad thing if, if you could stay out on the outside and kick his legs out. Uh, but if he gets in the, in the pocket and you throw it out with him, he's willing to take one to eat one. I mean, like eat one to land one. And he trusts his chin. I said this last time, he trusts his chin more than his opponents. And if he connects, he can put you out. Uh, I mean, I, I always bring it up, but the match now, he face planted match now. He makes some defensive mistakes for someone who wants to throw it out. He doesn't have a lot of head movement, doesn't really roll with the punches. But, uh, you mentioned the grappling. That's where we probably get the most fun exchanges. He's a good grappler. His take, he, he likes takedowns from the clinch. So he likes an inside trip. He likes little uh, slide buys to get back takes too, some really slick back takes. He's got eight submission wins on his career. He gets, I mean, he's got a wide variety of submissions. He can get subs from on top, from on bottom. He likes, he's got all of our submissions, guillotines, heel hooks. I mean, you name it, he can get it. He's got a good get-up game if you end up on top of him, though – he does play BJJ a lot, trying to throw up submissions. But we saw in his last fight, he did sweep Askar Askarov, which is a big accomplishment itself. Though he slowed down in that fight against Askar Askarov due to Askar Askarov's such heavy top position wrestling. But he didn't really show that in his last fight against uh, Manel Cobb. So you could like that. As far as Brandon Royval, one thing we got to mention is, you know, his last fight, he it was a dislocated shoulder and the torn labrum. Like, that obviously is worrisome. But... You you said it, man. This guy's exciting. Southpaw, so athletic, constant pressure, high volume, balls to the wall right from the start. Long and lengthy, long stinging jab. Um, uses length to he uses his length to like to close distance where he he wants to come in. He follows his jab, follows it up with like hard kicks, long leg kicks, high kick. 
Uh, kicks everywhere to the body. He loves flashy stuff, flying knees, spinning attacks. Great. There's another guy said, this is my third person on this card that's a long length guy that likes to step in with knees. But he's got a lot of negatives on defense. He he keeps his hands low. He, he loses power because he throws from his hip. Um, he's taken a lot of damage. I, I go back to his the fight against Kari Kaurapranz, the one that, that kind of put him on the map. He was he was hurt in that fight. He doesn't really check leg kicks. Uh, and his wildness gets him taken down. But you mentioned he's good on the ground. He's very flexible, throws up nonstop submission threats from the bottom. Um, he catches submissions and scrambles. You go back to the Tim Elliott fight, which is some really fun, funky scrambles. Just constantly keeps his hips moving. Uh, but he's such a terrible wrestler because he's willing to give a position um, and he's comfortable being on, be on his back. He also makes it easier because he has that Brian Keller jump to a guillotine thing in him. Um, and he makes the mistake of, of chasing a submission instead of using the space to get up. And we saw that pay dividends in his fight against Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno made him pay for that. I love Roy Val on the feet. Like, I think he'll, you know, his length and his speed should be an advantage. However, he's so reckless abandonment, he really makes it easy to take him down. And we saw Pantoja in many fights in the UFC just take a guy down, control him. Well, he's got some slick back takes himself. I doubt Pantoja catch him in submission. I'm just going to take the guy that I know is going to be probably on top more. This could be a passing or guard moment. And I actually, like, we don't we don't root, you know, for our picks. But, like, generally for the good of MMA, like, Brendan Royval's arrival to the top, very top of the division would be a really good thing. So, in a sense, like, I'd be very happy if it's a passing of the torch. I just don't think it's going to be. I think Pantoja's going to win enough. He's going to have him enough control time uh, that he wins the decision. But, like I said, this is still my pick for Friday night because we're going to have some fun, fun scrambles. There you go. A little dissension, but two strong picks for fight of the night uh, between Royval and Pantoja. We head back up to the lightweight division uh, for a scrap between Vince Bichelle and Austin Hubbard. Bichelle, the 38-year-old Californian, is 13-2 and overall. He is 6-2 and in the UFC, having fought just eight times in almost nine years due to a variety of injuries, uh, both in and out of the cage. Uh, he will be taking on Hubbard. Uh, the man who goes by Thud is 29 years old, 13 and five overall, three and three in the UFC, where he has uh, alternated wins and losses back and forth since joining uh, a little over two years ago. He fought most recently in April, dropping a unanimous or sorry, winning a unanimous decision over Dakota Bush. Uh, odds on this one are pretty close, but Pichelle is the slight favorite at minus 120. Hubbard still available at even money, plus 100. I will say that I am surprised that Vince Pichel is not a much bigger favorite here. Uh, obviously, Pichel, the story of, you know, his injuries, like in training, his motorcycle wrecks, again, he's fought once a year for the last eight and a half years, essentially. Between ben, that... Ben, one of his injuries was when he was a tow truck driver and he was, like, changing a tire or something like that. Yeah, he's he's cursed. <laughs> <laughs> but and obviously he's 38 now so you're talking about a guy that even if he'd been the picture of health that there's got to be a drop off at some point but he's a guy that when he's been in there who's he lost to Rustam Habilov 
like almost a decade ago in his debut and uh, Gregor Gillespie. That's that's it. Everyone else, he's beaten for the most part. He, he's handled them. Uh, and none of them have been chumps. Like he's he's beaten some good guys. And uh, against Hubbard, I just there's there's nothing I've seen in Hubbard's uh, UFC run so far, win or lose, that makes me think he's going to have a whole lot for Pichel unless, again, Pichel has just fallen off a cliff. Both of these guys lose when they are not the superior wrestler, but Pichel has lost to Rustam Habilov and Gregor Gillespie, where Hubbard's getting thrown around by, you know, W. Hamos and, and Joe Selecki. Uh, you know, I, I have Pichelle in this one. I have him pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, give me Pichelle by decision. I think he's going to uh, be the sharper striker on the feet. It's going to be the harder striker on, on the feet. And uh, I th- I think he will be able to get this to the ground if he if he wants to. I, I think his offensive wrestling uh, is, is a somewhat underrated part of his game. And I think he'll turn to it, you know, if and when he needs to, to, uh, to win this thing. But uh, I, I don't normally like go in for lock of the night type things, but I will say that again, I am very surprised that Michelle isn't a higher favorite here. Yeah. Um, so Michelle, he, he's not a great athlete and, and being 38, obviously he's not going to somehow get better at it, but he's, he's very aggressive. He, he's, he's very intelligent. He's that guy that he knows his limitations and he's one of these guys, he's got a very Darren Elkin style to him where he's somehow going to, get every ounce of athleticism he has out in the cage every every time. He's aggressive. He marches forward. He eats a lot of punches. Uh, I like he uses a lot of feints. He's he's kind of slow. <laughs> he's flat-footed. But he has hard leg kicks. Uh, he, he he knows his game. He'll close the distance, get it in the clinch, battle in the clinch. He will go for a takedown, drop down on a takedown, just pull the legs out. Um and if you take him down, he's going to work. He's not going to stay on bottom. He he he's going to keep working the whole 15 minutes, get himself back up, and going to wear you out. Now, Austin Hubbard, I'm I'm higher in Austin Hubbard than you are. Uh, I I think he's fairly well rounded. I don't see any like major holes in his game. Um, I think he's big for the weight class. I think he's pretty athletic. I think he he, he uses movement pretty well. Uh, he he avoid he uses movement well by not be like, he makes it hard in, on wrestlers by not standing still. That's why he did so well against Mark Madsen. But sometimes he he'll back straight up, which I don't like. Which he, um, but when he's throwing down, he's he's letting his hands go. He's some pretty good snap on his shots. Uh, he likes likes kicks down the middle, teep kicks. Uh, this is I think fighter number four or five on the card that I said he throws some step in knees. That's what he hurt Mark Madsen with. He's an underrated wrestler. Like he outrested Kyle Prepoli uh, in one of his fights, and then he showed really good get-up game against Mark Madsen. Mark Madsen, who's you know is Olympian, uh, Madsen struggled to keep him down. Though all, everything I just said about his grappling, he looked terrible against Joe Selecki. Selecki got his back and and found a submission. Y- you said Austin Hubbard. Um, had you know he he lost to Davi Hamos he lost to Mark Madsen he lost to Joe Selecki. I don't mind that list like Mark Madsen like getting thrown around by Mark Madsen Mark Madsen's you know an Olympian silver medalist uh, Joe Selecki's done a nice little run right here Davi Hamos uh, obviously is an extremely decorated grappler himself like I don't I don't think that's a a bad one now I would say the argument is who's he who's he beating like yeah you've done well against the guys that are supposed to beat you. But like, 
your wins against Dakota Bush, Max Roscoff, and Kyle Prepolek. Like, not that good. But Kilsmoda in LFA, that's a pretty good win. Harvey Harvey Park in LFA, that's a pretty good win. Like, he's got some pretty good regional scene wins. So I'm going to ignore the Selecki fight. And, yeah, we really disagree on the fight because I'm picking Hubbard in an upset. Uh, I think he's the better athlete, and he's nine years younger. I've never been that high in Vince Michelle. I understand everything you're saying, and Vince Michelle is one of these ones where I start, like, always, like, smacking myself in the head, like, why do you always pick Vince Michelle? <laughs> like, when are you going to stop doubting this guy? Well, maybe I'll start doubting, stop doubting him next fight because I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Hubbard. I'm taking Hubbard in an upset. All right, there we go. Uh, we have the most sincere moment of dissension on the card. You know, this is the kind of stuff you tune in for, folks. Next up, it is the Bantamweights, as Trevin Jones takes on Saeed Yakub Kakramanov, who steps up on just a few days' notice to uh, replace uh, Leomana Martinez in the wake of his withdrawal. Jones, the 31-year-old Guamanian, is 13-6 and six with one no contest uh, overall. He is 1-0 with one no contest in the UFC. And if you're keeping count at home, yes, he is the third of four fighters on this card to have a win or a loss overturned due to uh, due to weed. He stunned Tamur Valiev in his UFC debut. Uh, it was subsequently overturned, but he bounced back from that to take down another uh, highly touted prospect in Mario Batista, whom he knocked out early in the second round of their meeting at UFC 259 uh, this past March. Uh, he'll be welcoming uh, Kakramanov. The 25-year-old uh, is 8-2 and two overall and uh, has fought all over. He made an appearance in the debut season of Professional Fighters League. He's been in uh, Ring of Combat. He's been in CFFC. So if that long and difficult-to-pronounce name sounds familiar to you, you've probably seen him out there before. Uh, Jones is a slight favorite here. Uh, he is minus 135, where you can get uh, Kakramanov at plus 115 uh, as, as the slight underdog. But those odds just appeared a few hours ago as of when we're recording on Wednesday night. So watch for that to move all over the place uh, as as money comes in. OK, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it sucks that Mono Martinez is out of this matchup. That's a guy that both me and you like uh, as a as a prospect, as a person like that. That sucks. And obviously, uh it, Terrible situation what's going on with his team and, and, and the camp over at Metro Vegas. I know I can speak for both of us at, uh, you know, rest in peace to Sal Solis and, and thoughts and prayers and everything to his family. Um, but that said, uh, no, I don't want to say that said, the, the two separate things. But uh, it's it's nice to see uh, a guy like Rachmanov come in. He's he's a good fighter. Like, this is a guy that's he's a good addition to the UFC. So uh, I'll start with Jones because he's been around. South Polar. He's a counter striker, really fast hands. Uh, everything I'm, I should say this everything I'm saying, I was saying a couple weeks ago when he was supposed to fight. So, uh, but notes haven't changed. But Southpaw, counter striker, really fast hands, has two really good go to strikes, and that's his counter uh, slip and rip right hand and his straight left. Uh, his his counter right hand is what put Team of Aliyev out. Um, and it's pretty ironic that he generates so much power that he does because he's still a little raw. He still has some, some technical flaws. He ke keeps his hands too wide for his liking, kind of has this little chicken wing thing going with his elbows coming out, uh, which loses power. And he struggles when he's pressed against his back foot. He likes moving forward, but he throws hard kicks. He doesn't really check kicks. Uh, we saw that against Valiev. Uh, he was hurt to the body. Uh, 
but he also can wrestle too. He's got some good timing on takedowns, nice entries. Uh, he has four submission wins in his career. I, I think he's a Brazilian to black belt, I believe, or he's he's he, he's maybe a brown belt. I apologize if he's I apologize if he's a black belt and I demoted him. Uh, I, I didn't go off my my notes. I was winging that one. Uh, what I also liked is is he battled through adversity against Valio. Like regardless of you think it was a fluke or he was hurt. He was hurt bad. He showed incredible heart on day's notice to come back against Valley of, and then he really sh- quieted the doubters in his last fight when he when he got a legit KO over Mario Batista. Now move over to Kakramanov. As I said, this is a good and fun addition to the UFC. Like besides being good, he's fun. Uh, I look at his regional record. He knocked out Asker Askarov in 39 seconds. That's a great win. Like Asker Askarov is a prospect that people have been talking about. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm saying I'm am I saying Asker Asker, not Asker Askarov. Yeah. Sorry, Asker Asker. But Asker Asker is a good prospect. The guy that a lot of people like. He was going to be on the. Uh, I think no, he was going to. Was he booked for a UFC? He was booked for the UFC fight against somebody, and then it fell through. Um, Kyle Rudolph is only twenty-five, which you know I love that. Pocket, so he can just throw wild shots. He has a very Vandalay Silva style to him. He throws a lot of looping shots, but he loads up on everything and has good power. He has, you know, four of his wins have come by knockout. Uh, but he's also a good wrestler. You go back to the PFL days. He took down Umar Nurmagomedov. What else you got to say? Good top control. Is a submission threat. He has three subs in his career. So as far as prediction, get out the drinking glasses. This is an intriguing fight for me. If Kakramanov, and I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong, Kakramanov, if he had a full camp, I'd feel much better about him in this matchup. He has like a very berserker style that he would just come right out the gate, throwing big power shots and try to end the fight really fast. And he might even be, if it's possible, he might even be even more aggressive being that he's taking this fight on short notice. He might know that he's going to gas out. So try to end it as fast as he can. If Jones can weather that early storm, I think uh, the Uzbekistan fighter gases out. And if that happens, I think Jones can start taking over. Um, he's got the speed. He's got the power. He can end the fight. And I actually think that's how it goes. I think, um, Rachmanov starts off like a bat out of hell, uh, can't sustain it for a long time. Jones somehow survives or, or or weathers a storm and knocks out a gas fight. I'll say Jones by third round TKO. Great, thank you. Uh, I'm I'm with you on this. Uh, Said Yakub uh, Kakramanov is somebody who arguably could have been in the UFC a while ago. It's pretty interesting that he's only uh, 25 or 26 considering kind of how long he's been on on the radar uh and i'm glad you mentioned the umar Nurmagomedov fight because uh Nurmagomedov is of course now in the ufc but i would say that's that's almost his most impressive performance even though it was a loss like he wasn't completely outclassed anywhere by one of the best prospects in the sports uh he definitely belongs in the ufc i'm excited to see what he does going forward but i think this is a big ask uh, again, to step in against Trevin Jones, a guy who, uh, the, his speed and power just, he's, he's, he's going to have to fight a mistake free fight for three rounds. I, I think not to get hurt badly by Jones. And I don't know if he's going to be up to it on this kind of notice. So even if I might feel differently about this fight on a full camp this year, like let alone in another year or two, uh, I am leaning Jones, uh, on this one. Give me Jones, uh, by decision, just, winning rounds with with damage and probably pulling away as the as the rounds go on 
third from the top at UFC on ESPN 29. It is the heavyweights. It is New England versus the Deep South. It is Parker Porter and Chase Sherman. Uh, Porter, the 36-year-old from Connecticut, is 10-6 and six overall. He is 1-1 uh, one and one since joining the UFC uh, in the middle of last year. He lost his debut to Chris Dawkins uh, via first-round TKO, uh, then came back in November to win a unanimous decision over Josh Parisian at UFC on ESPN uh, Smith versus Clark. He'll be taking on Sherman. The 31 year old Mississippi native is 15 and seven overall. He is three and six in the UFC, but that is actually across two different stints with the organization. He is one and one on his current adventure, uh, having defeated Ike Villanueva by second round TKO in, uh, uh, last May at UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Teixeira, then dropped a unanimous decision to Andre Arlovsky this April at UFC on ESPN, Whitaker versus Gastelum. Uh, Sherman is a pretty comfortable favorite. He is minus 190. You can get Porter at plus 165 as uh, as the moderate underdog. Keith, who do you who do you like the the big tall vanilla gorilla or do you like the barrel chested uh, New England guy? <laughs> um, that's a perfect way to describe Parker Porter. He's he's a big dude. Um, first thing I gotta ask is like, how did this fight get so high on the card? Like this one should be early prelims. Um, Chase Sherman, he's a boxer. He's got really tight boxing. Uh, he's a bit of a builder, as we like to talk about. He likes to every minute that goes on is is. Output usually picks up. Uh, sets up his strikes with a lot of feints. Uh, his left hook is his best punch. Uh, he did hit uh, Villanueva with a huge elbow that that um, was a really nice shot for him. Defensively, though, this is why he lost Angelowski. He's a little bit of a stationary target, not a lot of lateral movement. He looks like a guy to me that does a lot of pad work, where you're not really circling. I mean, you circle a little bit, but you're not sliding away. You're not moving away. You're kind of just throwing punches to your coach and not doing a lot of footwork drills that's what i feel like chase sermon might do uh but what i like against villanueva through a lot of step in knees and he has some calf kicks he's not a guy who's gonna wrestle I, you hardly ever see anything for chase sermon in the grappling so uh, kind of put it a blank there over to parker porter i'm not gonna give my usual intro to parker porter he's he's just a huge dude he's like 255 he's He's a striker, not very athletic. He he loves his jab overhand combination, just jabs and overhand right. Uh, he looks for it way too much. I throw it in my notes four times somehow. I don't know why I kept writing simple jab overhand. I <laughs> copy pasted that a couple too many times. Uh, he does have nice power. I mean, just look at him. Uh, he's got thudding hard kicks. I mean, his his legs. I said this last time, like the biggest thighs in the world. Uh, defensively, he has tons of flaws. He he really dips his head. Often it's good. he's going to get need or something up the middle or caught with an uppercut. He he marches forward. He tries to be aggressive, but he kind of just walks through punches. He will wrestle a little bit, uh, so you know you know he'll clinch. You know he'll get a takedown if he can. Uh, though he's not much of a threat as far as prediction goes. Porter's the bigger guy. It could he could win this fight if he turns it into a brawl or he turns it into a chest to chest battle against the cage. But if he doesn't, I think Sherman just jabs him up and leg kicks him to that, and that's what I'm expecting. So I, I expect 
just point fighting and leg kicks until Porter's hurt, and then Sherman puts him out. Give me Sherman by second round TKO. Outstanding. I, I, I feel as though I don't know if everybody does it, but I think I continually think of Chase Sherman as better than he really is just because he looks like he should be a decent heavyweight. Just the fact that he's an actual 6'4 dude, he's not fat like he he looks like. I mean, he was a former college football player. He he does look like a decent athlete. It's kind of like the March in Tybura thing. Well, and Tybura is finally kind of, you know, turned into a legitimate contender, but kind of like Tybura until, up until you know, four years ago or so, where just I feel like he should be better than he is, uh, that that's Sherman. I mean, the guy is three and six in the UFC, and well, for one, like he keeps on beating guys like from Texas. Like he's got some problem with with Texas. Apparently, you know, he's beaten uh, Rashad Coulter. He's beaten Ike Villanueva. He lost to Justin Ledet. Uh, the thing the thing that Ike Villanueva and Rashad Coulter and just, Justin Ledet all have in common is none of them are heavyweights. In fact, Rashad Coulter has fought as low as one eighty five. Like. He is he's three and six across two stints in the UFC. Has it has it Coulter like also fought at like like three eighty five? Coulter's like. been he's got all over the place. <laughs> but uh I would say Sherman's best performance in the UFC is probably he's lost to Arlovsky. Like that's the best he's looked against an undeniably UFC level heavyweight. Like uh I I can't believe I'm leaning towards Parker Porter, but I just I, I could see Porter just starting to, to land land yeah. some some leg and body kicks that take Sherman out of his game. Maybe he goes for a takedown. I I I don't know. But Chase Sherman, I I just I need to see it. I I need to see Sherman like beat a guy who is not then immediately released from the UFC. And I, that's I mean, uh, Porter might be the first. Give me Parker Porter by decision. I know it's an upset, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I I do not believe in Chase Sherman yet. I, I will I will issue a huge mea culpa on the uh, on the recap if I'm shown to be dead wrong and Sherman completely outclasses Porter on all levels. Yeah. But right now Sherman is getting by on looking like he should be a a, a good UFC heavyweight and it's just not translated yeah. into the cage. That very might be the case. It just you look at the two guys and you just say who should win just by looks. Yeah, you're right. Listen, nobody wants you to be more right than me. <laughs> that brings us to the co-main event of UFC Vegas 34, a lightweight matchup between the veteran, uh, long-standing UFC uh, uh, mainstay, Clay Guida and Mark Madsen. Guida, the 39-year-old Chicago native, is 36-20 and 20 overall, he is 16 and 14 in the UFC over a, a frankly storied career. I mean, for a guy who's never firmly staked out a place in, in the lightweight top 10, uh, the way he's remained competitive, you know, it, late into his uh, 30s it is remarkable in, in its own way. Uh, he fought most recently in February, taking a unanimous decision over Michael Johnson. That snapped a uh, two-fight losing streak for him against Jim Miller and Bobby Green. Uh, he'll be taking on Madsen, the three-time uh, Greco-Roman uh, wrestling Olympian. The 2016 silver medalist is a perfect 10-0 in uh, his mixed martial arts career. He's 8-0 
since the 2016 Olympics. He fought a couple times in the early 2010s, took a couple years off to train for the Olympics one more time, won his silver medal, and he is 8-0 since coming back for real, for real to mixed martial arts. Uh, he is 2-0 in the UFC. Uh, he fought uh, Danilo Belwardo, uh, taking him down and pounding him out with relative ease back at UFC Fight Night 160 all the way in September of 2019. He then fought uh, last March at UFC 248, uh, where he took a unanimous decision over Austin Hubbard. Uh, Madsen is a moderate favorite here. He's minus 170, where you can get Guida at plus 150. Uh, Keith, Mark Madsen got out of the Olympics, did the Randy Couture thing. You know, he's 33 years old and said, I'm going to take fighting seriously now. He made up for lost time for a while. He fought uh, seven times in the first 18 months after he came back. Since then, he's been fighting about once a year. If he wins tonight, I mean, can you see him making a run in the lightweight division? Or is it is it just a matter of time now? Is it too late? Yeah, no, I think it's just too late. Was he 30? 37 next 30, month. 37, yeah. Um, so I'll start with him. I mean, he's, like you said, he's 30, turning 37, so I hate that. Um, he's still very raw on the feet. Uh, he really steps into his shots, and being the you know elite athlete he is, he does generate power. Uh, he he loves his overhand right. He throws it over and over again. That's a very cliche wrestling. thing. For, it's a wrestling thing. <laughs> yeah, Dan Henderson, Josh Koshe, you know, whoever. Uh, Tyron Woodley. Johnny uh, Hendricks. Johnny Hendricks, yeah. Uh, he, he's – oh, Hendricks was southpaw, wasn't he? Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, but still, your, your power punch. He yeah. throws your, you throw your power hand uh, over and over again. Uh, he is heavy on his front foot. He's open to leg kicks because of that. And he often ducks his head to avoid strikes. That's what Austin Hubbard uh, hurt him for late in their fight. But as you mentioned, he's an elite wrestler. Even at 37 years old, he was a silver medalist in the Olympics. Like people don't realize how insanely high that is. Which, which side note, people don't realize how insane it is for Gable Stevenson to get two takedowns with six seconds left in the match against a silver medalist in the Olympics. Like to take him down and then take him down again, like how insane that is. But anyways, back to this. Uh, that's just me trying to continue to plug to get Gable Stevenson into. And and while you're at it, get um. Uh, oh my god, I can't think of his name. The other gold medalist that uh, he ended up taking silver. What's his name? Kyle Snyder, who's hinted at MMA. He's only 25. Would take Kyle Snyder too. Anyways, but back to this silver medalist. Uh, obviously, great entries. He's you know Greco-Roman style, so a little different, more around the waist and up. Uh, insane strength. We saw that against Hubbard. He, he super, like picture perfect five point suplex. I mean, Dan Cormier was going crazy with one of the suplexes. Though, in fairness, they look better than they actually like effective. You waste a lot of energy throwing the suplexes, but he's got incredible hip control. You got any Greco-Roman wrestler? It's all about the hips. Loves that inside trips. Um, he was staying glued to. To Austin Hubbard when he was trying to get up, he didn't attack a lot in the head. Looked for Darce chokes, a little modified power Nelsons. That's just simply a, a guy that knows you need to have heavy, uh, heavy head pressure, which happens in wrestling all the time. But he's still learning the sub game, and he did slow down against Austin Hubbard. So there's a lot of things you don't like moving forward, and obviously his age. Now move over to Clay Guida. You know you're gonna get with Clay Guida. Tons of movement, that herky jerky Clay Guida style. He, he still has good output, but nowhere near what he used to be in his prime. He's become a lot more reliant on throwing that one shot, particularly his right hand. 
Um, but he doesn't. He's not a big punch. Like he doesn't have a lot of punching power though. Uh, but he still has. He can still wrestle to to his credit. Like even though he's up there in age himself, fast entries. I go back to his Bobby Green fight. Took him down twice. His last fight, he took Michael Johnson down three times. Just would get in there. He chain wrestles. He either he'll go to a double then switch to a single. Uh, still has like old man strength. They just lift you up in the air with a single leg high crotch. Uh, though he's been subbed recently in, in a lot of fights, that Charles Oliveira, I mean, that that aged really well. But the other one was Jim Miller, which has not aged. Getting submitted by Jim Miller at this point has not aged. And then Bobby Green almost guillotined him in their fight. And he still he didn't slow down. He's, his cardio is still good, but some would argue, and I said this last time, it might be because of his output has dropped. So as far as prediction goes, Matson's 36, and it's very possible of him just gassing out and Clay Guida outworking him. But I don't trust Clay Guida for not looking for a takedown himself, which would be really uh, – well, I wouldn't say dumb because it wouldn't shock me if Guida got a takedown, but you're really getting into Matson's world. And I just think Matson's a bad stylistic matchup, even for a way more experience, high-level experience in, in a guy like Guida. I expect him to actually get takedowns on Guida over and over again. And I think Madsen will slow down, but I think it's going to be a little too late for Guida. Give me Madsen by decision. Yeah, I, I see this one uh, in large strokes the, the same way that you do. Uh, in some ways, the 20, 21, 39-year-old version of Clay Guida is, I mean, it's kind of cut to fit for, for Mark uh, Madsen to beat with a relative minimum of, of risk to himself. Uh Guida's always been a good wrestler, like you say, but Madsen should have the advantage there. Uh, Guida, he's a high-output guy on the feet, though not as high as before, and he's never been a one-shot power guy. So even if he tags Madsen up a, a bit, Madsen's been, been hit harder. He's, I mean, uh, Hubbard hit him harder um, than, than Guida's going to. And while Guida used to be almost the poster boy for the just unstoppable energizer bunny cardio machine at lightweight. You know, that's not, that's not really the case anymore. Uh, he's still good cardio wise, but he's gotten there by t- turning down the pace just a little bit. And even if M- Madsen fades late, I, I don't think we will be like pulling away uh, with, with like legendary cardio 10 years ago. Uh <clears throat> I, I picture this as one kind of like the Hubbard fight where Madsen wins the first two rounds pretty handily. Guida might come back to win the the third, but it won't be like Hubbard who had Madsen in like all kinds of trouble and busted him up pretty good uh, and like made it interesting. I, I don't think Guida's going to make it very interesting at any point. Uh, just give me Madsen by decision in a, a very clay Guida fight. And the real question for me is, Will Madsen avoid enough damage? Will he be able to get back in there, get one more fight this year? Because if he does want to make any kind of run, he needs to stop fighting once a year. Like he, he needs to get on the horse. Um, you know, if the UFC is back to putting on fight night cards in Europe next year and Madsen's on a winning streak, that's good news. Like he's a guy that like he has a built in sellable thing. He's a Danish sports hero. He, uh, you know, he's an Olympian and yeah, like they, they could build Euro fight night cards around him, but it, it, he has to keep winning. 11 predictions in the bank. We arrive at the main event of UFC on ESPN 29. It is a middleweight matchup between Jared Cannonier and Kelvin Gastelum. Cannonier, the 37-year-old Alaskan, is 13-5 and five overall. He is 6-5 and five in the UFC. Uh, most relevantly, he is 3-1 and one since dropping to middleweight. At middleweight, 
He has defeated David Branch, Anderson Silva, and Jack Hermanson, all by TKO, before uh, dropping a unanimous decision to Robert Whitaker at UFC 254 last October. He'll be taking on Gastelum. The tough 17 winner is still not even 30 years old. Uh, he is 16 and 7 with one no contest. Uh, for those of you keeping track at home, yes, he is the fourth of four fighters on this card with a marijuana-related no contest on his record. Uh, he is 16 and 7 with one no contest overall. He's 11 and 7 with one no contest in the UFC. He is 4 and 5 with one no contest since being forced up to middleweight by the, uh, by the UFC. Uh, Gastelum's last appearance was also a loss to Whitaker, uh, to whom he dropped a unanimous decision in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 22 uh, back in April. Cannoneer is the slight favorite here. He's minus 145. You can get Gastelum at plus 120 or plus 125 as the slight underdog. Uh, I mean, I might be overstating the case here, but... I'm always on the lookout for fights where the stakes, like what's at risk and what rewards are on the table are not equal between the two guys fighting. And I look at this fight and this is a fight where one guy might get a title shot if he wins and the other guy might get released by the UFC if he loses. Like Cannoneer is three and one at, uh, yeah. at middleweight with wins over two top 10 guys and his only losses to Robert Whitaker, who's the you know number one contender. Whereas Gastelum has, has lost, uh, you know, four or five, and his only win in, in that time is over Ian Heinish, who's kind of bottoming out of the top 15. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and let's not forget that Israel Asanya, the, the champion, actually called for a fight with Cannonier when he won. Yeah. He, like, he said, like, yeah, Cannonier should be the next guy. So, yeah, I actually totally agree. One thing I was thinking about when you were talking and you said Robert Whitaker beat both these guys, I was like, if you beat both these guys in their last fight, you're probably going to sit down with your friends when these fight and, and brag and say, oh, I beat both these guys. Except if you're Robert Whitaker. Like, you're probably the only guy on earth who's not going to brag about beating these two guys in their last fight. Uh, I just, I, uh, so, who's going to win this fight? It, it's funny because, yeah, there's a lot of stakes. I agree that the reward for Cannonair is would be much better, uh, much greater for a win than Gastelum if he wins. And I agree that the punishment or the you know the whatever you want to say, like if you lose, the effect if you lose is greater for Gastelum than it was Cannonair. If Cannonair loses, he won't be out of the UFC. But not that much greater. Like, Cannonier loses. He's dropping way down the rankings. He's buried. He's got a long way to go at 37 years old, which you know I hate. Not looking good for Cannonier. So, Cannonier, he's, he's not a very technically sound fighter, but he makes up for it for just being so freakishly strong. He's a former heavyweight who fights at middleweight, and he still has – seems like he still has heavyweight power. He sits on his punches. He hits really hard. I, I like his the way he controls his – his power because he like he'll stalk his prey he'll force them on their back foot force them to a spot like against near the cage or uh, a spot there they're uncomfortable and he's very patient and then when an opening presents itself then he unloads the big shot so he kind of keep he he's not a low he's a little low output but he he's he's just intelligent with his he, he doesn't waste his energy and that's why he can stain it his sustain his power much longer than than other people who has like a, such a big power punching style. He also throws a lot of hard leg kicks, like he'll, he'll beat you up your legs. 
uh, though he doesn't throw him enough, I think that's something he should add more to his game. He it, the way to beat Cannonier a lot, you know, the, a long time ago was just to out wrestle him, and I still think that is probably your best bet to win. But he showed really improved takedown defense against Jack Manson, who's probably an underrated grappler himself. Uh, he was he did well at winning scrambles, and he has some of the scariest ground and pound in the game, which which we saw in the Jack Manson fight. It's funny because of all the guys I'm, I broke down tonight. I think my my notes and Jared Cannonier was the smallest, and it's just simply because it, I don't know if he has a huge tool set. It's just he has a freaking sledgehammer in that tool set. Um, now move over to Kelvin Gastelum. Just one of the he's one of the head scratching guys or yell at the TV guys to me. Just because he's so inconsistent. Like this time, it's like you could go back to the uh, Ian Heinish fight, he looked sensational. Go back to the Jacare fight, he looked sensational. Even his loss to Israel Asanya, like it looked like, wow, Asanya's the champ now. His biggest threat is Kelvin Gaslam, and then he's looked pretty terrible since. Now, technically, he's a southpaw. He's got good hand speed. I think they actually exaggerate his hand speed. I don't think it's as fast as. Is I think it's because of his builds because he's like kind of like a short, stocky guy. Does his hands look much faster than that? But I'd say he, he's he's got plus speed. He kind of tends to fight and burst. He'll sit back, sit back, and then just explode with a big combination. Uh, great overhand left, though he does extend sometimes, loses power. He kind of um, reaches at his opponents. He hits hard, but similar to what I said about his hand speed, I actually think his punching power is a little exaggerated too. Like he's not one of the like Jared Cadena is is a much harder hitter than. Than Kelvin Gaslam. That said, I'm not saying Kelvin Gaslam can't knock out Jared Cannon if he connects. He absolutely could. Uh, he can be gun shy a little bit at times. Go back to the the Darren Till fight. He was really gun shy in that fight, uh, and and Till had success chewing up his legs. And another thing about Kelvin Gaslam, he's he's got a really solid chin. I mean, we've seen him tagged about Adesanya, Jacare, Robert Whitaker. He keeps moving. Uh, for some reason, I didn't put any notes. I, I don't know how I forgot about the grappling of of. Gasolin, he can grapple. He, he he will shoot him for a takedown. Uh, he's he's not a great wrestler, but he's a plus wrestler. I mean, we've seen great wrestlers out out wrestle him. I think about Chris Weidman. Like Chris Weidman had really good success put him down. And then due to his lack of size, like that's the area where he struggles most. He struggles a little bit with range with guys, which is going to happen. And then just giving up pure size to someone. Uh, like in, in the grappling like he did against um, Chris Wyman. But then, uh, you know, he's also outgrappled some other good heavyweights like like Tim Kennedy, who was a bigger guy. He was able to outgrapple. So as far as prediction goes in the main event, one of the themes I've had all – like I had two themes. I didn't really know I had it until I started reading my notes. One was step-in knees, which is, probably won't be effective in this fight. And the other – and the other – Note I seem to go back to a lot was size difference. I, I think about the William Knight. I think about the um, Bay Malecki. I think there might have been one, maybe one other fight where I talked about the size difference. This is a this is another fight where it just it, it comes down to a size advantage to me. Uh, Calvin Gaslam has the more tools. He's the faster guy, but Jim, Jared Canada is a true middleweight that. Um, he can land a big shot, or he can grapple with you a little bit and just weigh on you. And I just think that's the difference. I think his power is going to be too much. Um, and you know what? I think he's going to catch – no. Yeah, I'm going to say he catches him. I'm going to say he gets a third-round finish. 
Wow. I, I thought I would be, I, I figured you, you would probably get a pick Cannoneer for a, a lot of the same reasons I am, but I thought I might be the only one who was going to go out on a limb and say he gets the finish. Uh, Tom Feely, who writes the Sherdog official previews, they're kind of the text companion to, yeah. uh, no, I mean, we don't, we don't, yeah, yeah. And, and we, yeah, I mean, the three of us, don't agree on everything obviously you know it's three different yeah. people's uh, opinions but one thing he said in his preview for this event that kind of stuck with me is that it is kind of it's almost surprising that kelvin gaslam has not been knocked out yet considering how much he gets tagged by almost everyone good that he faces and i am not gonna i'm certainly not gonna argue that jared cannonier is like the best striker that uh gaslam has fought at middleweight i mean the guy's fought Robert Whitaker, Darren Till, Israel Adesanya, yeah, you know, champion. I mean, hell, hell, hell even, even, even Michael Bisping, you know, a, you know, an elite striker at, who happened to be at the end of his career. Sure. But I'm willing to say that Cannonier has the best one shot power of anyone he's fought at, at 185. I'm going to disagree on that. Who you got? I'm going to go with the champ. He don't look the part, but I'm going to go with the champ. I'm going to say Adesanya has the biggest one punch power. I'd be willing to concede that. Uh, but you know, but it's, it's one's a tank, the other one's a sniper. I mean, I've said this about Adesanya a million times. One's a tank, the other one's a sniper in, in the tower. You either got to get your head shot off, or you're he's going to knock the whole building down. One or the other. <laughs> well, I mean, count me uh, among those who think uh, Kennan, you're just going to knock the whole building down this time. Like Gaslam's gotten by on toughness and heart and chin, you know, for a good, good run. But yeah, Kennan's advantages in 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 strength are, are going to be noticeable here. I don't think uh, wrestling is going to be a, a safety valve for him against Cannonier the, the way it might have been at one point in their respective careers. And I think uh, Cannonier might not land the most volume, especially in, in, the, in the first round, but he'll land the more telling shots. And I think he's going to hurt him. And I think he's going to be able to put this away. Give me Cannonier by a uh, second round TKO. Yeah, and I, I just want to jump in here for a sec because obviously we disagreed on who hits harder between Adesanya and Cannonier. And I want to stress that obviously I'm saying Cannonier hits really hard because I also pick Cannonier to win by knockout. And, mm -hmm. and and I, I I don't think I have to stress that it's probably extremely unpleasant to get punched by Jared Cannonier. I would. So I just want to stress that like I'm not calling him pillow fisted Cannonier <laughs> or, or or anything like that at all. And and, and the other thing you said that. Uh, one thing both me and you can agree on, Tom Feely is a brilliant guy, and he's got a really good write-up, and everyone should read it every single week. Absolutely. All right, there we go. Uh, that is the Sherdog Radio preview and prediction show for UFC on ESPN 29, Cannoneer versus Gastelum. Uh, for Keith Schillen, I have been Ben Duffy. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the fights, and uh, check in through the Sherdog front page or the, directly on the Sherdog YouTube page well, within about a half hour uh, after the main event ends for the live recap where we will take your questions, take your uh, comments, your hot takes, uh, let us know what's on your mind, what you think is next for some of these fighters. Uh, we'd love to have you. You know, we've d definitely got a, a good group of, a good growing group of friends there, uh, you know, who, who like to carry on the conversation. Uh, thanks for listening and have a great week.